Cooper. Uh, as you guys know, we're going over the parables of uh, of Jesus. I don't know how long this season is uh, going to last, but uh, I don't see an end in this, in sight for the near future. So um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12 today, and uh, we're going to be focusing in <laughs> on the rich fool. If you're rich in here, don't worry. I'm not going to be attacking uh, the rich folk today. (laughs) (laughs) That is all right. Technology is a wonderful thing. Uh, we'll start in the 12th verse. Uh, I'll start off reading and then, uh, and, and then we'll get into it. But it says here, as a matter of fact, we're starting in the 13th verse. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, <laughs> tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said, (laughs) that's quite all right. That's quite all right. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness or or greed or envy. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And and then he says, and he told them a parable. But I I, want to stop for a second. Because it's it's, it's our tendency to always just start with the thing that, that leads right into the parable. And we don't always look at what led up to that moment or what happened before, what happens after to give us a larger context. Now, this hits home with me a little bit because I preach, right? And so Jesus is in the middle of preaching. He's teaching. And this guy interrupts him in the middle of it. How many of you like to be interrupted when you're talking. How many of you are teachers in here? Any teachers? Would you like me just busting in the middle of your class doing a lesson and just saying, hey, Beverly, I got a question. Um, I've got a problem. Me and Christy are arguing about something. I want you to settle this for us. All right? I mean, how do you think you would act in the middle of that? You know, you'd probably kick me out of the classroom violently. Because I'm doing something here. All right? This is important. I'm teaching. So if you look at those first 12 verses, most of it is read. 
But he's teaching, beware of the leaving of the Pharisees. You know, have no fear. Don't fear the people who can harm the body, but have fear for God, who, who not only can kill the body, but also put you in hellfire after. He can, he, you know, he can condemn you or give you life. You know, and it tells you, hey, acknowledge Christ before men. Don't be ashamed of me before men. If you're not ashamed of me before men, I won't be ashamed of you before before God. You know, so this is important, life-changing stuff. This guy apparently is in the crowd, and his mind is in another world. These these amazing truths are being are, are, are being ministered. They're being shared, these deep truths of the kingdom, and, and he's really he's really sharing it with passion. And this guy comes in, hey, teacher. Yeah, 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 I get all that. I get all that. But tell that idiot brother of mine to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus, I think, showing great patience. But he speaks to her. He says, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? In other words, I take that as there are places to go with this argument. Okay, we, we've got judicial systems that can help you settle these, these economic or financial disputes. We've got legislative bodies that can deal with this. What I'm dealing right here are matters of the kingdom. These are matters of the spirit. Okay, I, I'm not here to be an arbiter to settle disputes between you. Okay, this may, you, you may feel like you're going through an injustice here, but that is not my lane. That's not what's going on here. How many times do we mix things that shouldn't mix and we get out of our lane and, 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 and we try to, uh, I'm going to get into this a little bit later. This guy is focused on this matter that he has between he and his brother, but Jesus doesn't address the issue he wanted him to address, does he? There's something going on deeper with this gentleman. Jesus is like, well, I'm not going to get into this thing between you and your brother, but there is a spiritual issue here that I am going to deal with. Let's, I don't want to park here too long. Uh, let's keep it moving. He made, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, okay, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. So this guy had a covetousness issue. Now, he said, my brother. Now, that, that would imply that his brother has control or a large portion of the inheritance. So his brother is probably his big brother. And if you're familiar with Jewish customs back then, okay, uh, big brother is going to be bequeathed or probably a double portion of what was inherited. All right? And so, and now, I'm not saying I'm, I'm reading, this is extra emphasis added by Pastor Cornell. All right? I'm <laughs> just reading into this. I'm trying to say, what would make him make this such a dispute? Well, I'm thinking about the um, 
the prodigal son, for example, demanding his inheritance. He didn't want to be under the customary law. He did not want to be under the way things were. He wanted to do his own thing. And so he demanded his dad give him his portion so he can go do with it what he deemed appropriate. And we know what happened. He lost it all and he came back and had to repent. Well, can the same thing not happen between siblings? And he feels that there is an injustice that's happened here. And he's hearing Jesus and say, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. This guy's pretty wise. Hey, Lord, I got a problem with, well, my brother's really the problem, but I'm the one suffering because of him. And you need to get him right. And Jesus deals with him. I'm not getting into your personal issue with your brother, but take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life, and this is, you need to star and underline or highlight this, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And I think there's a lot said in that line right there. I grew up in poverty. I remember being a high school kid, working in McDonald's, going to school, playing sports. Didn't have much for free, much free time. I can remember back far enough, making about six, seven bucks an hour. Oh my goodness, life would be great if I could make eight fifty. You make eight fifty, oh man! But if I could make ten. All my problems would be solved if I could, you know, if I could, if I could make $30,000 a year. Man, $30,000 an hour would be awesome. And I, I've given my testimony before about, man, everything would just be solved. Everything would be all right if I just make it to the NFL. My life would be perfect. Everything would be right. You know, my peace or my perceived, I perceived that there would be peace, that there would be comfort, that there would be provision in the thing that I dreamed for. More money. A certain profession. Certain accomplishments. If I could do that, man, I'd be comfortable. Man, There'd be there'd be peace. I'd just be on I just be on cloud nine, and you know, as I accomplished a lot of those things, guess what? I wasn't on cloud nine. That which I wished for became not enough, and then I looked for another goal to try and satisfy, and 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 I thought. That if I achieved those things, that those things would say something about myself. That would help me to believe something better about myself than what I believed about myself at the time. Are you hearing me? And I accomplished those things and my self-identity didn't improve because of that. I felt good for a time. Yes, I was excited. but, But there was a root issue within me that could only be settled in the spirit. 
One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so I had to come to a point to where I realized, you know what? I can't find fulfillment in things. I cannot find fulfillment in accomplishments. I cannot find a fulfillment in achievements. I can't even find fulfillment in dreams fulfilled. Because there is a place in me that can only be filled by Jesus. Amen? There is a place in us that can only be filled in the Spirit, by the Spirit of God. Amen? And that's going to remain the case no matter how little or how much we have in the way of possessions. And so he takes this interruption. He could have gotten the flesh. I probably would have gotten the flesh. But he tenderly addresses this young man. I assume he's a young man, but he tenderly addresses him and, and, and he brings it to the spirit. To the matter of the heart. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You know, God does want us rich in our relationship with him. Don't get me wrong, he does not want us to be wealthy or rich financially. But here's what he doesn't want us doing. Pursuing riches. Are you hearing me? If you you remember the Bible, if you remember many of the characters, whether it's Abraham, Job, Moses, all of them, extremely wealthy. Israel, all of them, wealthy. But you never get the sense that they ever pursued wealth. They pursued God. They pursued him. He was preeminent in their lives. And, and, and their blessing and their wealth was as a result of them in their relationship with him and obeying the way of the Lord. There was wealth that came about, but it was not the thing that they pursued. You understand what I'm saying? He's not, it's not a sin to be wealthy. It's a sin to find your, to let your wealth or let the pursuit of wealth be a source of peace or comfort, to be a source of for you that only God can be. And so the point of this parable is not against wealth. 
It deals with the heart. And it warns us not to find identity, not to find or seek peace or identity or or comfort or anything like that in the pursuit of wealth. This man, let's take a look at, you know, he says to his soul, this dude has more than he needs, right? And to me, it makes sense. If my barns are not big enough to hold my increase, I'm either going to have to build more barns or build bigger barns, right? I don't think that that was the issue. But it's obvious here, I have, he said, soul, I have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Now, he had all of this stuff, and it never once crossed his mind to go before God and say, God, I, thank you. You've blessed me so much. You are the source of all this goodness. You are the source of all this increase. What would you have me do? I desire to, to, to glorify you. I desire to be a blessing to others in need. Everybody doesn't have it as good as I have. So what, how can I take all this increase you've blessed me with and advance the kingdom? And that's what God would have us do. That is the lesson to be learned out of this rich fool. He's a, you know, God called him a fool, so I'm not judging. All right. It's in red. I mean, you can see it. <laughs> and you know, oftentimes we just have to enlarge our perspective. It's, it's, it's one thing we we tend to uh, only see what's right in front of us, and what's right in front of us is the thing that matters. Everything else doesn't seem to matter a lot of times, and we can get tunnel vision. And and, and we have to constantly remind ourselves, okay, that, that what goes on in this life, in the natural, is very temporal. You know, while it may be real, the more real thing is the things of the Spirit, the kingdom of heaven that will not pass away. That is everlasting, right? And so, we, our life is but a vapor. We're going to live a certain number of years on this life, but all of us are going to spend eternity somewhere. You're either going to spend eternity separated from God in the lake of fire, or you're going to spend eternity with God. Right? And that is a thing that we must remind ourselves of, those of us who are in the know, those of us who have been enlightened, those of us who know that and tasted the salvation of the Lord. We know where we were, where he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, and we know how great a salvation we have in Christ Jesus. Amen? And, and, and the greatness of that salvation that we've already tasted and known, my goodness, it is so awesome. But we you know what? Our God is concerned about those who don't know him, that are still walking in darkness. That still have no hope. That need those with the light of God to shine brightly in their lives. Who will work the harvest 
so that souls can be reaped for the kingdom. There are people who are not able to see beyond the here and now. They're not able to see beyond the deception that the devil has placed in our lives for those who don't know Jesus. They feel worthless. They don't feel loved. They don't feel God cares about them. They, 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 don't even, they don't feel like salvation is something that they can have because, you know what, I've just screwed up one too many times. There was a time when I could have considered that, but maybe that time has passed for me. And they need to hear what my darling wife Christy said earlier today. His love is not diminished for you. He still sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross for you. Yes, you made mistakes like the prodigal son did. Yes, you've wasted opportunities. Yes, you've wasted resources. Yes, you've done some things that destroyed your body. Yes, you have hurt others. And you've you've done some horrific things. And, and, And when you're alone with your thoughts, You know, you beat yourself up and and you condemn yourself and you think you're the most worthless person in the world. But 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 all of that stuff, you know, is speaking out of your soul, speaking out of your emotions. The spiritual reality, the spiritual truth is that you are treasured. You are loved. You are redeemed. In the blood of Jesus, if you but confess him as Lord and Savior. Our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. You could not have righteously acted your way into salvation. It is the gift of God through Christ Jesus. Are you hearing me? And so your possessions, your accolades, your achievements can't save you and they can't disqualify you. We didn't, let's see, when we were when we were brought kicking and screaming into this world, we were all buck naked and had nothing. Right? We didn't bring a thing into this world with us, right? Yet here we are, God's taking care of us. When we depart this world, What will we be able to take in the life with us beyond this world? Any possessions that we possess? Our most, our most treasured keepsakes, can we take them with us? Our bank account, can we take it with us? Our best suit or dress? Our Rolex? Surely we can take our tablets. We brought, scripture says we brought nothing into this world and we'll take nothing out of it, right? So wouldn't it make more sense to worry more about God's economy than the economy of this world? God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. Tomorrow is not promised to anyone. 
And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That was the problem with the rich fool. He was laying up treasure only for himself. And God would have us be rich toward him. Like I said earlier, um, God's not mad at the rich guy for being rich. I don't know how rich he was. Um, And I don't know, I guess richness can be relative when you think about it. I can tell you being on the mission field a number of times in my Christian walk, I thought I knew what poverty was till I went to places in Mexico, Africa, and saw a different level of poverty that even I did not experience in America. And so poverty in America ain't the same as poverty in a lot of countries. That's not to diminish the poverty experience. But what I, you know, I might make, if I made $20,000 a year, that may be, you know, that may be low income in America. But if I made $20,000 a year, you know, that's about twice as much as the average income everywhere else in a lot of countries in this world. Right? So sometimes it's a matter of perspective, a matter of perception. Sometimes it's relative. But there are many people in the world that would love to be able to make $20,000 a year. It'd be real tough to make ends meet on $20,000 a year in this country. But I guess my point is wealth is, I don't know, a bit of a relative term. Am I wealthy if I make $75,000 a year? Or do I have to make 125? I think the point is less, it's less about wealth and more about what our mentality is toward the possessions that we have. Do we look at our possessions as only something that we should enjoy? that we should be benefited? Do we look at our possessions and we're reluctant to part with them to help someone else because we just don't know and not sure how we could get by on a smaller piece of the pie? Or are we able to give freely to someone who is in need and trust that God's got us taken care of? If God speaks to our hearts and says, you know what, that $1,000 you've been saving for a new bike, I want you to give that $1,000 to the such and such family. Will our heart stop in that moment? Will we just curl up in a fetal position and, 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 and argue with God and say, no way, I'm, I'm not ready to give up that dream of a new bike. That's the world's economy. 
give up my thousand dollars, how am I going to get that back? Will I ever get that bike that I've dreamed about? Why would God ask me to do something like this? It may sound like I'm rambling, but I'm just trusting that when I get in this mode, that God's going to do something with that. You're going to school, get a degree, many of you. You're going to put yourself in a better position to get a better paying job and open up opportunities for yourself. And I encourage you in that. I do. I I would not uh, discourage that at all. But I would ask you to examine your heart as you are going through college, as you are positioning yourself for increase. What is the motive of your heart? Are you just trying to build bigger barns? For your own self-interest? Are you pursuing that there is a there is a target of comfort, of peace, where you can where, where you where you can say, soul, rest easy. I'm pursuing. There's a peace I'm pursuing. There's a comfort I'm pursuing. I'm trying, I want to get to a uh, a standard of living where I can just rest on my laurels and, and, and everything would be perfect for me. Is that, is that really what you're going after? Because if that's what you're going after, you know, you, you need to aim a lot higher than that. As the, as the children of God, we need to be thinking kingdom-minded. Father God, what I have now, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to tithe. When I get my paycheck, the first thing I'm going to do, first fruits, go to God. Tithe. There are scriptures that tell us how to manage money. Uh, Steve uh, Irby has done a great job in, 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 in leading some of these uh, uh, seminars and things that we've done as far as money management and so forth. But God doesn't want us to be wasteful. He wants us to be responsible with our money. He wants us to save And so, you know, we can tithe, we can budget our money and not be wasteful with it. We don't want to be like the prodigal son. We want to be responsible with our money and the things that God has blessed us with. But we have to have a vision for what we're going. What is it that we're really trying to accomplish? Am I going to be content and find peace in my relationship with the Lord? Or I'm going to try and find peace through a certain amount of wealth. You know, the peace of God doesn't make sense. God's able to give us peace even in the worst of circumstances. Real quick, uh, I want you to go to Genesis 39, verse 1, or it'll probably be on the screen up there. Uh, Genesis 39, verse 1, I want to talk about, I've talked about this guy so much, y'all. I know you, Joseph in the Old Testament, uh, my family hears about it all the time. Y'all hear about it all the time. It's just my thing. 
But notice, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. His brothers had, had sold him into slavery. He's in Potiphar's house now. He's a slave. The guy that had the dream that people were going to bow to him, he's a slave. And he had been brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. Think about that. He was just sold and bought. He's a slave in a foreigner's house, and he's described as being a successful man. You think God has a different definition of success than we do? Despite his circumstances, he was able to be successful because God was in his circumstances with him. You know, I think a lot of times we got to remember God with us, there's nothing we can't do. God with us, we can be successful beyond limitations. We can be successful beyond circumstances. And so he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and made, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. See, God can make us successful in any situation, in any circumstance. You know, the bank account can say one thing, but that doesn't limit God's hand and his ability to work out miracles on our behalf. Amen? That doesn't, that doesn't diminish his ability to give us favor. That doesn't, I mean, he was working in Potiphar's house and Potiphar was able to see the goodness of God at work in his life. Are you hearing me? You know, and, and, and later on in, uh, you know, chapter 41, when he goes before the uh, Pharaoh, when Pharaoh had the dream, you know, he still hasn't been elevated yet. They brought him out of the dungeon. <laughs> they brought him out of jail. And he had the opportunity to uh, explain Pharaoh's dream. And he, and, and, and he told him, not only did he tell him the dream, because nobody else, the, uh, uh, Pharaoh, he said, you know what, I, I want real divine intervention here. I'm not going to tell anybody the dream. If God is really with you, you tell me the dream that I had, and you tell me what it means. All right? And so he gets brought out of, the, out of jail. He tells him the dream, and he gives him the interpretation, and it basically speaks the, something that can be a real issue in our lives. You know, he, he said, hey, the first part of that dream means you're going to have seven years of plenty. But that seven years of plenty is going to be followed by seven years of famine. All right? And you're going to need to put somebody, you're going to need to hire somebody wise to handle the increase in the seven years of plenty so that you have enough to get your people through the seven years of famine. And guess what Pharaoh did? You know what? You're that man. I see in you the wisdom. I see God is with you. I'm going to elevate you. The only person going to have more authority in this kingdom than you is me. 
Did God stop the famine from happening? No, he didn't. He didn't stop the famine. They were going to have to go through the famine. But what God did was provide a means for them to be able to get through the seven years of famine without perishing. And you know, I used to think that if I did everything right, if I prayed right, if I walked with God, I was going to have a certain level of comfort. God was just going to make all the bad stuff I didn't want to face. He's going to detour me around that stuff. And I was just going to have this, you know, this smooth paths and rose petals and all this other stuff, man. And, and was I in for a rude awakening? Yes, I was. And the, uh, through my walk with the Lord, I've, I've over time learned that was all in my head. Jesus never implied that there was going to be this smooth, <laughs> this smooth pass before us. He always said, as a matter of fact, you're going to have trouble. The world hated me, they're going to hate you. You know, there's going to be trials, there's going to be tribulations, there's going to be difficulties. You're not going to be exempt from those things. You know, there's going to be times when the ends are going to be a little difficult meeting financially. There's going to be times when your health is not going to be its best. He didn't promise us the easy route. He even said, if you're going to follow me, you know, if you're going to come after me, then you're going to have to take up your cross, deny yourself, and walk with me. All right? There, 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 is, there is some struggle. There is some suffering. There is some persevering through hardships that is going to be included in walking with me. He was upfront about it, right? And so there's going to be times in our lives where famine is coming. But the good thing about it is we walk with the God who's going to provide for us. And he's going, and, and he's going to go with us so that we won't avoid the famine, but we're going to get through the famine. Are you hearing me? So, you know, um, wealth comes and goes. Good paying job can be here today, gone next week. A pandemic can hit and wreck a whole lot of stuff, right? But the one rock, the one consistent, reliable, faithful one is our Heavenly Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? And so I, I, I'm not going to trust in wealth or riches. I'm going to trust in him who is faithful. Amen? And I would challenge you to do the same thing. Okay, let's not pursue wealth or fame or riches or whatever. Let's pursue him. Let's not pursue the things that we have need of, clothing and, and our housing and everything, lodging. You know, if we pursue first the kingdom of heaven, the things we have need of will be added to us. 
The Lord has promised us that. Let's go back to Luke 12. And we'll get to... uh, We'll get to the back half here. I will not say we're winding down. You're not going to get me this time. (laughs) Let's just continue uh, verse 13. Oh, I'm sorry. Verse 22. We did 13 to 21. I just felt it necessary to read this because it's a continuation uh, not of the parable, but it's a transition. It, 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 it's uh, interconnected with the parable. He just finished the parable and he says to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried about it. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father knows that you need them. Sometimes I think we, we, we feel like God needs to be made aware. Maybe God doesn't know. God, I don't know if you know, you know, <laughs> I sure could use that $500. Uh, or, you know what? I need to balance my bursar bill before this semester is out because I don't know if it if it doesn't work financially, I'm not going to be able to enroll in next semester. OSU likes to have their money. It feels like we need to inform him. And he's like, he already knows it. Instead, He said, I don't want you to worry about that stuff. I don't want you to seek those things. Instead, seek his kingdom. That's what I want you to seek. God wants you to seek him. He wants you to seek the kingdom. Seek to continue to be made conformed more into the image of Christ. Seek his will for your life. Seek deeper and more intimate relationship with him. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. This is so good. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's his good pleasure to bless us. He wants to give us the very things that we have need of. We're not having to appeal to him and convince him and, and, 
you know, try to uh, cajole him into doing so. It's already his good pleasure to do it for us. He just wants us to be less concerned with that things that we have need of and more concerned with our relationship with him. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You can tell a lot about where somebody's heart is by where they invest the majority of their resources, the majority of their time. You can tell a lot about the things that are important to us, the things that we treasure. I don't know what that says about about me and my household. I mean, we pretty much, we got Netflix, we got Hulu, we got, I guess our treasure is entertainment, I guess. Uh, Pandora, what else do we have? Spotify, I mean, we have a little bit of, but I am suffering though, I don't have ESPN. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) or FS1, you know, so there's that. But the bottom line is we need to be more focused about storing up treasures for ourselves in heaven. Anything we accumulate here on earth, we can't take with us. It's limited in its impact. But whatever we do in the furtherance of the kingdom has impact into and through eternity. And what we store up there will never be corrupted, can't be stolen. You know, 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. I'm going to keep reading a few more verses. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You know, it is, it is an important truth and something that we need to get our minds and our hearts around. Godliness with contentment. To not be in that rat race of 
stuff never being enough. You know, it's like that song in The Greatest Showman, never enough. Never enough. Every time I get what I thought I wanted, I move the goalpost, and now I want more than what I got. That's not a satisfying life. You know, that's not a life that's of liberty. That's not a life of victory. That's a life of constant disappointment. But there's great gain in godliness with contentment. Lord, I just thank you. I'm content with what you've blessed me with, Father. And I know whatever needs I have, I can trust that my Father, it's his good pleasure to provide those needs. And so if the need arises, I'm going to trust in his faithfulness to provide that need. I'm not going to pray to be rich or seek to be rich because usually in that motivation is, you know what, I want to be so secure that I don't have any worries. Then we think we become self-reliant. We become self-sufficient in our own minds. It's a deception. It's foolish. It snares you and it gets you. And all of a sudden, we're not relying on and leaning into and trusting in God and calling on him and, and, and believing him to come through for us because, hey, I've, I've gotten my empire. I've gotten all the stuff that I need. I'm secure in my wealth now. So it isn't the wealth, it isn't the being wealthy, it is what the pursuit of it can can lead us astray into a false sense of security and a a straying away from the faith. I'm going to skip down and I'll finish here, verse 17 through 19, that same chapter. As for the rich in this present age, Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And I, want, I, I hope you highlight these as well. Um, don't be caught up in, well, I don't know, I'm not rich. This doesn't apply to me. No, 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 no. You don't have to have seven zeros in your bank account for this to apply to you. You know, how how many of us, I'm broke, but I got this $900 iPad. I'm broke. I got this $800 phone. You know, we're not as broke as we think we are a lot of times, all right? we A lot of times we have more than we need, right? And so uh, we're not missing meals. Uh, we have a roof over our heads. Our bills are paid for the most part. And it, sometimes there are times in life when we're struggling with that. But, 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 but let's not incorrectly define ourselves, <laughs> all right? And so, so, so we have more than we need oftentimes, especially those of us in this country. We have more than we need. And, and so... By definition, more than we need, that means we're wealthy. We're not poor. Poor means a lack. I don't have the ability to meet my needs. I have wants I can't afford. But my girls, y'all know, it's like, you say, oh, I need this. Mm, Is it a need? (laughs) 
Are we calling a want a need? <laughs> is it really a need or is it a want? I mean, because there's a difference. Now, I have wants that I can't afford. But I don't have any needs that are unmet. All right? My needs are more than taken care of. So I'm wealthy in the Lord. I may not be wealthy by the world standards, but I'm wealthy in the Lord. Amen? I'm rich in the Lord. Not just in resources, but I'm rich in the spirit in the Lord. I'm rich in relationship with God. I'm rich in relationship in my family. You know, I'm rich in relationship in this church. Amen? We, we, are, we are rich. It's, it's not just a resources thing. And so as for the rich in this present age, this is us, many of us. Okay, co- college students, accept it, you know. I, it hasn't been so long that I forgot what it was like to be a broke college student, all right? So <laughs> y'all may not be rich, all right? But college will be over. There will be a day, all right? Don't be haughty. Don't, you know, don't be haughty. Uh, don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. It will not be faithful to you. It is uncertain. You can be, you can have many resources one moment and be deprived of those resources. Um, example, Job. And what will we do if our hope and our security and our certainty was in those resources, it will leave with those resources. But if our hope and our security is in Jesus, that hope remains. That security remains. The provision remains. Even if the resources are lost. Not set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where it really matters. Amen? So let's keep our, let's learn the lessons that Jesus taught. And remember, he's in response. This whole thing was in response to a God that said, hey, would you settle this dispute with my brother, between me and my brother? I don't think he's dividing the inheritance right. I don't think that's what that man wanted to hear. Do you? But it was a teachable moment, and I would love to have seen what fruit bore out of that, if he listened, if he heard it, if he received it, you know, if he uh, began to walk with the Lord and, and, and he got the freedom that, 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 that would come in embracing and walking in that truth. But the truth itself is more important than than me getting closure on that story. 
um, God would have us to not hope in certain in uncertainty of riches, not to pursue wealth, but to pursue Him. And I would say, you know, we're talking about resources. We're talking about it's a matter of the heart, really. What does our heart desire? Do we desire things more than we desire God? Do we desire things more than the will of God coming to full fruition in us? Those of us who are in relationship with him. If you're not in relationship with him, you know, this truth can still speak to you. You may be defining yourself as broke, destitute, a matter of, from a worldly standard of resources and everything. But you know, we were all broke and destitute spiritually before we came to Jesus. Right? And in Jesus, we're now rich in the spirit. We had to humble ourselves and realize, you know what? I'm a sinner. In need of salvation. I've measured myself against others and convinced myself I'm not a bad guy. You know, I'm an all right girl. At least I'm not as bad as that person. But you know, that relativistic mindset, all that does is keep us in bondage and keeps us from coming into the knowledge of the truth. I'm going to ask you all to stand. And I, I just want to speak. If you're here today and you don't, you can, you can honestly acknowledge to yourself that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I would exhort you, I would implore you to say yes to Jesus. The one who is faithful and true, the one who is his his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. The one who, while we were all still sinners, he died for us. He became sin for us that we might have relationship with him and, 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 and be the righteousness of God in him. If you lack hope, Hallelujah. He is the hope of glory. If you seek peace, he is the prince of peace. He is the giver of peace. Not as the world gives. He gives an everlasting peace. 
he gave his life and suffered the indignity and the torture and the pain and ultimately the death of the cross because he so loved you. He was willing to go through that because it meant giving us the opportunity to be reconciled to him and to spend eternity with him. So if you don't know the Lord, here's your opportunity. Would you come just as you are in all of your sin and shortcomings and in every way you've condemned yourself and, and, and deemed yourself not worthy? You know what? You're, you may not be worthy by the standard of many but you are worthy. You've been deemed worthy by the only one who matters. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he deemed you worthy enough to die for you. To suffer the cross. And praise be to God, he died on that cross, but he rose again on the third day. <laughs> conquering sin, conquering death, conquering hell, conquering it all. And he's raised to life forevermore. Hallelujah. Death has no, has nothing on him. He's conquered death. And in him, you will conquer death as well. Hallelujah. And so I just invite you. If you want to be rich in the spirit, if you want to know and taste and see that the Lord is good, if you want to have, uh, if you want to experience the salvation of the Lord and, and to be born again, now is the time of your salvation. Hallelujah. Today is the day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And if you I just pray that God has spoken to you today. If you've been seeking anything that you perceive or have security, it will give you security. And, um, and if you've been pursuing comfort, um, it's a hard truth to tell you that God didn't call us to comfort. He didn't. But he has a sufficient peace, a sufficient grace. And he has a perfect peace. As a matter of fact, I think he's called us to be uncomfortable, to wade out deeper into deeper waters. To be willing to go into the wilderness, to be, you know, to to be willing to trust him in the fiery furnace. to be able to trust him in Egypt and represent him well, even in the face of hardships and trials. Because his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so I would challenge you and strongly encourage you today 
where, where it's needed, redirect your priority and, and, and redirect your pursuit. Like the song that the girls wrote, The Endless Pursuit of You, Endless Pursuit of God, where you've pursued things, where you've pursued certain accomplishments, believing that the accomplishing of those things will provide a certain comfort or peace or something that, that should be provided by God. Redirect that pursuit to pursue God, to pursue the kingdom of heaven. And the things you have need of will be provided for you. Father, we just thank you for speaking to our hearts today. We thank you for your word, which is quick and powerful, Father God, and and divides the soul from the spirit. Um, And Father God, I just thank you for open hearts that will uh, receive this word, Father God, and and act on it. Um, And Father, I just know that if they commit to do this, if we all commit to act on the truth that's been shared with us, Father, there's no question that you will do what you've promised and that your word will accomplish what you've set it out to accomplish. And, 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 and we just thank you for it, Father, and, and to you be all the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Thank you all, and uh, the Lord bless you. Um, Lord bless you as you go.